Hello, and welcome to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. We believe all women lawyers deserve to be wealthy women lawyers. Our mission is to provide thought-provoking, powerful, and practical information to help you in creating your own sustainable, wealth-generating law firm without overwork or overwhelm so you can live your best life. I'm your host, Davina Frederick, and I'm so excited for you to meet our guest today. So let's get started. Hello, and welcome to the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. We believe all women lawyers deserve to be wealthy women lawyers. Our mission is to provide thought-provoking, powerful, and practical information to help you in creating your own sustainable, wealth-generating law firm without overwork or overwhelm so you can live your best life. I'm your host, Davina Frederick, and I'm here today with Hanan Landa, founder and CEO of Optimal Networks, Inc., a global ranked IT services firm. After earning his BS and MS in electrical engineering and computer science from Johns Hopkins University, Hanan went on to receive his MBA from the Wharton School of Business. Featured in Legal Management, Legal Times, Chief Executive, Inc. Magazine, Forbes, CIO, and with regular appearances on WJLA-TV, WTTG-TV, and WUSA-9, Hanan is a trusted leader in the legal technology and business spaces. Uh, so welcome, Hanan. I'm so glad you're here. Really excited to have you on the Wealthy Woman Lawyer podcast. Oh, my God. I'm blushing now. I don't know if you can see me, but I'm blushing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good, good. Well, then we're off to the right start. <laughs> we're, we're sitting here naming all of your appearances and places that you have been featured. And that is quite a list. So I want to we're, we're dealing with a real expert here in technology, which is what we need uh, because technology can be so frustrating for a lot of people. So I want to give people some context. And if you could uh, tell us about your journey to to being the founder of Optimal Networks and why you felt that that was uh, important for you to create. Um, Well, you know, my my journey was probably very different. I I came from a, a home where my parents had started their own business. And it was a very high tech, type of business. And my mom went to work with my dad on the business and they they co-owned it and they co-ran it. And so 24 by seven, as I was growing up, it was all about the business. And I got a lot of entrepreneurial spirit from that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to go um, into business school and I was immediately uh, rebuffed. And my mom said, under no circumstance will you go into business school without having a profession. So she's she made me get um, electrical engineering, computer science degrees from Hopkins. And then I got my wish and I got to go to Wharton, where I actually went through the entrepreneurship program there and uh, got to write the business plan for Optimal Networks. Wow, yeah. wonderful. So that was a long time ago. That was, uh, I'm, I'm dating myself, thir- almost 30 years ago <laughs> uh, when I started the business. And over time, we realized, you know, once I got my my legs under me and figured out what it meant to provide really good and high-level IT services, I realized that in in the D.C. area, there, which is where we're located, there are, I know you're shocked, tons and tons and tons of lawyers. (laughs) (laughs) It's shocking, shocking. Lawyers flock there. A lot of people there need lawyers, so that's why. (laughs) Um, And the... um, it turns out that lawyers are wonderful clients if you are able to provide good service. Mm-hmm. And 
since I was always geared towards a sort of a premium Nordstrom's level service approach, that, that really worked for me. And they're, well, they, you, you're all wonderful people. You're smart, you're capable, um, and you know, you're doing good in the world. And I love that. And the, um, the fact is very conservative about technology. Mm -hmm. and so I've, I've sort of made it a bit of a mission to help move this entire community forward a little bit in technology. And I, I actually, I actually summed it all up in a book that I launched during this whole COVID thing, which was really, oh, wow. yeah. And it's called the modern law firm, um, how to thrive in an era of rapid technological change. And if anyone's interested, tell me, <laughs> I could get you. Yeah, we, we definitely want to know where to find yeah. that, uh, the modern law firm. Yeah. Uh, it, Actually, it hit Amazon number one bestseller, which floored me. Um, oh, wonderful. But, you know, the thing is that technology is changing so fast. And I thought I would be spending a lot of time talking about what exponential growth and exponential change means. But apparently the coronavirus did this for me. And I don't have to explain it anymore. And um, Right. Yeah. So anyway, so that's where I am today is trying to make sure that, that law firms are really using technology well to attract clients, retain clients, provide good service, have better operations, you know, make more money, all the above. Mm -hmm. Great, um, great. So, so this opens up a whole lot of follow-up questions for me. Oh. So uh, I, I actually worked in a law firm in the 90s as well. So there you go. Now that should make you feel better. Um, and, but I was in marketing at the time, so before I became an attorney, and I worked mm -hmm. in a large law firm and then I worked in, a, in an agency after that, and we were developed. That's when websites rolled around. Oh. And just to give people context who maybe weren't around in the 90s, certainly <laughs> weren't in the work world in the 90s, I worked for uh, a Boston engineering firm before I went to the law firm who didn't understand why we needed a fax machine for the law for the engineering firm, which had you know like a hundred people. And so they finally got a fax machine, right? So this is this is kind of what was going on at the beginning, at the end of the 80s, the beginning of the 90s. And so a lot of law firms, understandably, in, throughout the 90s, uh, were still doing things, uh, a whole lot of paper and not as much computer, you know, not a lot of computer systems, right? right. So. And the legal industry uh, is typically just very slow to change. It's very traditional and it's slow to move. And so what we've been seeing is kind of an interesting phenomenon with this COVID-19 pandemic is the need to move very quickly. Yeah. And uh, so what did you experience with law firms, maybe who weren't yet your clients or who had been your clients who were kind of slow to adopt change and and what was it like for them when this pandemic hit and suddenly now we're having to reimagine how we're going to get work done in our business? So we <clears throat> we had a very interesting experience. I, I would say on the whole, the pandemic proved to the law firm community that they could move and they could move quickly. And some, you know, some faltered, but they, they got their their legs underneath them and, and they started being able to do work remotely. Some of the huge law firms uh, that I'm, I know about, they did it. And all of a sudden they have partners saying, oh, it, it's fun to work here 
uh, from home. You know, this this is working. I don't yeah. I don't miss dressing up in a three piece suit. You know, <laughs> so I think that this really proved to the law firm, to law firms and lawyers everywhere that this is definitely possible. They could move quickly and they could adapt and make things happen. Um, I will tell you that I was especially lucky with our clients because we had been talking mobility with our clients for years mm-hmm. and helping them come up with um, good strategies for that. We have uh, a lot of clients in our virtual desktop solutions. And so from a technology point of view, uh, they picked up and they went home and they didn't think twice that that was the least of their worries was the technology piece. And which made, which was wonderful for me. I can't speak to my competitors. But just <laughs> <laughs> Well, certainly say everybody was busy. <laughs> yeah. um, but um, what they began to wonder and, and worry about was how to communicate with each other being sort of disparate, right? So if you have a law firm of, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 people, and they're all sitting in one office, and then all of a sudden they all pick up and go home, and they're all in 20, 30 different offices, in essence, how do they communicate better together? So So we had a lot of very quick implementations of Teams and Slack and, you know, ways and Zoom and ways for people to really connect to each other. And then following that, so that was like the first month, two months of the the lockdown. And then following that was a lot of discussion on how do we take our firm culture, whatever that culture is that we had in our office, how do we take that culture and bring it into the digital world to make people feel connected because that was really one of the, you know, that's, that's what people were missing the most is how to connect with their coworkers. And Mm -hmm. because operationally they were, they were good, right? They were able to work on the documents. They could call the clients. They could, you know, um, they could do whatever they needed to do, but it was all of a sudden this feeling of being disconnected from their teammates that they, they needed Mm -hmm. to solve. So that became Mm -hmm. the big topic of discussion. Yeah, yeah. So what are some of the ways that you helped solve that for, for them? I don't know how much we did as much as they did themselves uh, because it's a it's a it's a pretty expansive topic. We were able to run some webinars both for the local ALA and for the ABA to talk about the different ways of doing it and mm. you know, it it's really it's really a question of identifying your culture, looking at what it was because one thing you're not going to do is change your culture overnight. So if you right. have sort of a, I don't know, a difficult culture, if you will, you're not suddenly when you go digital going to have like a benevolent culture, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so you have to be realistic and say, all right, what is my culture? And then you sort of look at all the things that made it up. Like you have to do a little bit of journey of, of discovery. So, for example, in my office, our kitchen is a big deal. Like we, man, we invested, in fact, we just had our office redone right before COVID. I mean, seriously. And, <laughs> and, and we doubled the size of our kitchen, right? Because uh, we love our kitchen and we do Friday morning breakfasts and we have our all company meetings there. And, you know, it's really wonderful. Yeah. We go home, it's gone. There is no kitchen, right? So, so how do we duplicate that? So you, it's almost like a process of saying, what are the elements that make up our culture. What mm-hmm. happens around the water cooler? You know, what happens when you pop into someone else's office for a few minutes? And being intentional about moving that digitally and saying, right. 
all right, now we have a Slack channel or a Teams channel, and we're going to call it Kitchen. You guys go have fun in that kitchen. You know, we might have a virtual Friday morning breakfast every other week to sort of make up for it and let people come in and say hello to their friends, right, yeah. on, on Zoom or something. I can't really bop into someone's office, but I can say that heck, Fridays at noon to one o'clock, I'll be, I'll be on in my Zoom room and you can jump in anytime and it'll be like a sort of a, I don't know, office hours, if you will, mm, mm. right? So it becomes very, you have to make it very intentional and you have to be willing to experiment because this is the other thing I found is that some firms try to just set it and forget it and say, hey, every Tuesday, we're going to do a virtual lunch and everyone comes in. And boy, that got boring really fast. And people were sick of the Zoom meetings and they had video fatigue. And they didn't want to see their friends and they went on audio if they, you know, and they, it just it devolved. Uh, yeah. And so you had to experiment and change and maybe do a happy hour one time and a formal company meeting another time and a, and whatever. It's just you had to you had to be adventurous and you had to tell people I'm being adventurous. It's okay. Right. Work. Give it a shot. Right. Yeah. Right. That is um, and and so that's a really interesting um, aspect, technology and human behavior and mm-hmm. mixing those two. And that's something that I think uh, I know with a lot of law firms, the reason oftentimes the reason um, solo attorneys say, oh, you know, I really want to bring in a partner is because it being a solo attorney, even if you have staff, can get to be very lonely and isolating. And you want somebody that you can, if you've ever worked in a firm, you know what it's like to be able just to walk down and bounce ideas off of another attorney about your case. And get a different perspective about the strategy. And when you're working on your own, you don't have that. So now this is happening in firms where people are accustomed to having that. And now they're distributed and they're not having just that. Hey, just what do you what do you think about this? You know, they have to schedule. It has to be more formal and yeah, all those I kinds mean, of things. It, it's with the partners. It's with the staff and the paralegals. And, and you're used mm-hmm. to a certain buzz, right? You're used to a mm-hmm. certain flow. Energy. Energy and yeah, and that and that disappears with when you go all digital and you have to intentionally bring it back. And if you do that, it works. It work. It does work. It's not as nice as it is in person. And I'm sure we'll all go back to some level of in person, and that's a whole other yeah. conversation. But there's a piece of it. And and look, there's a financial ramification here. I'm just gonna put it out there that mm. you want to keep. You know, as the owner of a law firm, and it does not matter what size, you want to keep your folks engaged and connected to the firm because turnover costs a lot of money. Correct. I don't have the statistic in front of me, but it is enormous. It's like almost it's either 50% of a person's salary or something something along those lines. It is mm-hmm. all the all the information you lose, you know, all the knowledge you lose and all the operations and the damage to your reputation with the clients and all that stuff. So when people leave you, it doesn't matter who really in your organization, if they're effective and productive and they're a performer, you want to keep them connected because there's a financial ramification of them leaving. And so all this culture talk, it sounds soft, but it really has a hard cash bottom line of, right. uh, of how important it is to, to pe- keep, keep that sense of firm and connectedness. Because if people get disengaged, they leave. And now, yeah. I'll, I'll, sorry, I'll, I'll throw something else to slightly scare you. 
It doesn't matter where you live anymore. You can work anywhere. I'm sitting here in the D.C. area. If I wanted to work in California, I could sit here in my basement and I can work in California. It doesn't matter anymore. Right. So. Right. Uh, and so the job market has exploded in essence uh, from a yeah. from a um, availability point of view. So if they don't feel connected to your firm, the world is their oyster right now. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and I think so many uh, people are actually seeking opportunities. I know I tried to, uh, I went through a hiring process recently and my first, uh, my first attempt was kind of a bust as it turned out, but, but there is that, that sense that how am I going to, how am I going to bring in this new person mm-hmm. into a culture? I mean, so when you have a building and they come there and they're with other people, you have other people that are helping you make that person feel welcome and it doesn't all fall on you but when you're working remotely uh, you know then, then then they're still more connected with what's going on in their home yeah. or where they are than they are than what's going on with you and it becomes very siloed you know i have i've been doing this work for a long time and doing it virtually because my clients are all over the country and using zoom and i love it um and other video other types right. of video meetings and everything but i love video because um i'm a people person so i really like to see people's faces and you connect on a different level but i find so many people are really struggling with video because maybe they're self-conscious about how they look on video when they think right. people are looking at them funny or, or whatever, or they just don't like to engage that way. They want to, you know, type everything. But I think it's so important, the video component, because social media has made it where you could say all kinds of things that you would never say to somebody's face. Mm-hmm. And when you slip on a video camera, <laughs> you're much more careful about what you say to someone. Like we get that feed. It's something for those of us who grew up without that kind of technology, if you said something mean to a little kid on the playground, you saw the instant look on their face and it made you feel about this big, you know? And so you just didn't do that kind of thing. And now we're seeing with social media, people are, you know, keyboard warriors and they're going on it. And so I think it's very important when you talk about company culture and integrating your technology to really think about those kinds of things um, because it's easy to fly off. We And for those of us who've come along the path of email, when right. email first became a thing, before people learned how to work the tone of an email, mm, <laughs> you know, lots of hurt feelings. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. finding ways to use technology and integrate the culture is definitely key. I want to shift gears a little bit, and I want to talk about a big issue for lawyers, which is um, security, oh. and that is that is something that. Um, you know, we are told from the time we're you know, starting a law school, we're constantly reminded that if your team screws up, if they breach some ethical or legal obligation, you are responsible and you can lose your law license. And that's where so much fear comes in for lawyers yeah. and hiring staff. And right. that becomes even more of a challenge when you're talking about distributed workers, because now people are in their homes and there's confidential data and confidential information. So there's that aspect of it. There's another aspect of uh, the security of the systems. We're seeing so much with people all around the world hacking into systems and like ransomware is a huge issue. And I don't know if you read the article 
that just came out this week, but there was a, uh, there's actually the first person there claiming died as a result of ransomware. Ran somebody was holding a hospital hostage and they couldn't check in a patient who was critically ill and she died as a result of it. Wow, no, um, read that. Yeah, and so this was in Germany. And I, a lot of people who aren't in the tech industry may not realize what ransomware is and the impact that it has on business, but it can cost businesses thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars if they're big enough businesses and it's, it's problematic. So when we're thinking as lawyers about working from a in a distributed way, I'm sure that's on the mind uh, and it's a concern for a lot of attorneys uh, with law firms with multiple people. What, do, what kinds of things are you recommending to clients um, that can help them in this way? The first, let me scare you some more. I know you don't. <laughs> I hate talking about the elements of fear, but it's um, it's actually critical to know that that most of ninety five percent of data breaches occur start with a phishing email. Believe it or not, okay, start with some sort of a phishing attack. That's wonderful to know. Yeah, and and the. Um, and the way the fishers and the scammers work is they capitalize on fear. They, boy, they make fear their middle name, right? So you get mm -hmm. an email, your Facebook account has been compromised. What, what, let me click. No, don't click, don't click, right? Because they've just capitalized on that fear uh, that your Facebook account has been compromised. But if you take that into the current setting, we have a pandemic. They don't need to capitalize on fear because fear is already here. Right, and so the fear is here, and boy, they were ready to rock and roll. The number of phishing attacks since the pandemic has gone up 669%. Wow, wow, just, that's incredible. Just to start with that, and the number of, of data breaches, ah, I'm, I'm losing the statistic, I don't have it in front of me, but I think they quadrupled. Um, also, <laughs> people's home networks are not as secure as the office network. It, they are just right. not. 45% of home networks are already compromised. These are studies that I can get you the links and you right. can play with them. This is a huge number. That means that if you have a few people, if you have gone from your office where at the very least, hopefully you have a firewall protecting your, your data, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, hopefully you've got Antivirus, anti-spyware, you know, uh, software on your on your machines, and if you have a server that's that's covered or what have you, and suddenly people have gone home, and there's the risk that they don't have this type of a, of of uh, equipment, and definitely no firewalls sitting around at home. It's all gone down to consumer grade, and then mm -hmm. you have sharing machines with their kids and um, with their spouses and partners and stuff, and then. And you don't know what those other folks are doing. So it's, it is really, it, from a security point of view, very quickly into the pandemic, we have all started freaking out. Um, yeah, <laughs> so there, yeah. There's two things that you can do really quickly to get yourself um, in better shape. One of those is mandate, both for yourself and for all the folks in your firm, security awareness training. Um, if you can't get it formally from, um, if you cannot get it formally from your IT provider, um, there is a ton of it on YouTube. 
a ton of it on YouTube, right? Um, just, just, just going on YouTube though. There you go. Now we have another security risk. True. Um, you know, we we provided as part of our services, uh, mm. both our virtual desktop services and our managed IT services um, for law firms, where um, we're enrolling our clients in a product called Know Before. Uh, it's one of the industry leading products and they have all sorts of training on their site. Um, so that, I mean, it's something to look at. It's something to be um, cognizant of anything you can do on the training. It actually reduces your risk of an attack of a breach by 70%. Just wow. That's huge. So let's, let's really dig into this a little bit. So one of the, so number one uh, is first of all, if you own a law firm, you, this is, uh, this is an area where you really need to be paying attention. Huge. And thinking and thinking this through as if you have distributed workers, you need to be thinking top priority is your security and securing the client's data. And that may be providing equipment that is dedicated strictly for work instead of allowing them to use home computers. Because, you know, sometimes it used, it used to be the kind of thing in the security industry where people in the uh, computer security industry, where people say your your big risk is the person standing over your shoulder looking at something that they they shouldn't. And certainly you have that aspect of it if you're sharing at home and your right. spouse is looking at confidential client information and you don't know, they may inadvertently go out and say something at a bar or whatever, you know, I we don't know. I guess but, I'm, I'm more worried about them downloading something inappropriate on the machine. Right. And, and having that create that hole then that allows hackers in like games, games are notorious games. for Absolutely. that kind of thing. Right. So yeah. then having security policies, probably needing to write down your security policy, and this is what our policy is, and providing dedicated equipment and doing the best you can to help upgrade your team's, you know, yeah. virus protection and service and whatever you can do. You know, there's there's limitations on what we can do as far as what's running into the house. Right. You know. Yeah, that, um, it, it's very, very important. In fact, I'm... I'm silly. I did not mean to, to send you to YouTube. Let me send you somewhere else. <laughs> we have we have on our website a half-hour security training webinar that we put out mm. just a couple months ago. Go to optimalnetworks.com slash security. You'll see it there. It's on demand. It's free. And just go in there. It actually covers a lot of this stuff. It covers the policies, the password policies, the remote work policies. Um, and it, it also talks about making sure you get the right um, technical controls in place. So you mm -hmm. do want that antivirus, anti-spyware. You want that. If, if you can get it commercially, that's better. If you can get it from, if you can get it from your service provider, that's helping you with your office equipment. And hopefully they put something together to help the home equipment. That would be, mm -hmm. and if not, yeah. at least have people get the subscriptions to the, to the software, to the web route or the, you know, semantic, uh, Norton, antivirus, whatever, whatever it is to protect their systems at home. It is very, very important. Right, right. And we can't rely on, uh, you know, uh, Zoom is a perfect example of that. I've been using Zoom for a long time right. and it was not, you know, I never had any issues with it. Wasn't worried about it. Didn't have, uh, I remember, uh, what was it? There was some service that came out uh, that people blab. I was on Blab when it first came out, and that was a social media where people could come on and have conversations with each other, people all over the world. And one of the issues with Blab is you would have people pop on who were in another part of the world who had a different agenda, 
and you would suddenly start seeing little adult pictures flowing up in your comments and <laughs> and then you're like oh my god and you're live you're live and and Pete, and this is happening live and so that was an issue now blab has gone away but this came up with zoom is about when everybody started using zoom then you started having hackers turn their attention to zoom and so zoom had to jump in very quickly and initiate some security um, to protect people but we're kind of going around thinking oh you know technology companies are surely they're addressing security <laughs> and but we have to also think it through for ourselves and our business if we're doing this there's a personal level with your identity but also if you're responsible for confidential information and your team is responsible for confidential i mean it's even more so for this type of profession right yeah, one yeah 100 and often you can tell how good a company is like a lot of people um took zoom to town and refused to use it because mm -hmm. of all the security uh, mm -hmm. discussion up front uh, but a lot of what you can tell is how they responded to it and mm. they responded very very well and very very quickly uh, right they were under a lot of pressure their uh, their use skyrocketed uh, in a way that you could not even begin predict. to predict they couldn't have ever predicted that right the fact that they were able to get in there and put in the features and focus on security and uh, bring up the level and allow you to actually route your zoom data if you wanted your data not to be in China You could not have your data in China just like that. It was amazing. So, yeah. uh, so that's very impressive and that's actually goes back to the policies Like do you have an incident response policy, right? Like if something does happen It's not only important to try to prevent the security But it is important to pay some bit of attention to what would happen if and I hate to say it, most security professionals would tell you when you would you would get breached, mm -hmm. right? And and that's by the way in the American Bar. If you look at, at one at, at um, a quote from one of their studies, that their that one of their opinions, people div are divided up into people who have already been breached and people who have yet to be breached, right? And right. Because, because right. It is a huge industry out there. The hackers are making a lot of money with this information and law firms are particularly vulnerable because it's the last place on earth that still accepts people's secrets. Right, <laughs> right. And that people are willing to share their secrets exactly. openly, right? And it's so it's, it is, well, you have that and you have the hospitals, the medical, you know, oh, yeah, uh, which is really scary, yeah. Um, or you got me going <laughs> i know i know and i was like sitting here thinking i was going to ask you a question and it popped out of my head this is also what happens when you when you date yourself and put <laughs> you're like okay when you're in your 50s you start to forget things but we were talking about oh i know what i was going to say was website just yeah. just to give you an example of uh so i have a, a website and so people people have this notion that well, I'm a small business. Nobody's going to mess with me. They're going to go after the big guys. They're going to go after the Facebooks of the world. They're not going to come after me. And uh, I don't use Facebook, so you know, or whatever it is they think, right? But it's but my website. When I started getting, uh, I started running ads. I started getting a little bit more traffic. Hmm. Fortunately, I have a lot of security on my site. It just started getting hammered. And I'm not a big company, you know, small. Some small potatoes. And my and it went on for weeks with this. And fortunately, we had really good security. So while we were seeing the messages, but the messages were people are trying to log in and they're trying to hack your site. Hmm. And 
And so if you think you're exempt because you're a small firm and nobody knows, about, you know, you're right. probably even more vulnerable than, you know, because, because you, think you have people out there all over the world who are trying, who are just, they're running, you know, they're just running and they're looking for these sites that are not secure. I mean, even just like a basic security certificate for your site, you're seeing so many sites out there that don't even have that basic security. And that's a website. Now we're talking about logging into our case management and we're talking about our Dropbox or Box or what do you, you know, how are people exchanging data? And if you're a small law firm, you're just trying to figure out the right tools to use. Like you've got maybe a case management, but are you using Dropbox? Are you using Box? Are you using, how are you exchanging files? And so every layer that you add, there's that vulnerability, right? It's true. Um, and there are ramifications to it. So even if you look at your website, which hmm. we, could, we could postulate is an online brochure, right? Right. So, so if I'm going to come to you as a client, first thing I'm going to do is jump on your website. If it's hacked, I don't think I'm going to give you my stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because that's a little bit, yeah, that's a little scary. And well, and so many people are using their websites now as portals as well. You know, they're, they're, they're doing, creating intranets and allowing that their clients to web interface or, or whatever. And so, you know, all of that. So our, if, if people take nothing else away from this interview, they should be taking away, they need to stop and think about the security aspects of their distribution, not only the culture and how we feel about being on Zoom and those kinds of things right. and, and the potential loss there you know, uh, so I would, workers. I would say that one of the important people to have on your team, if you will, is a good IT advisor. Mm -hmm. And they should be asking their IT professional that they have now these have questions that we've been bringing up and talking about. And if they can't answer them, they need to give you guys a call. <laughs> Well, thank you. <laughs> I'm happy to take it, but um, and I'm happy to help. Uh, but yeah, if if you're not getting these, look, they should have brought this up with you already. Okay, mm -hmm. we're six months in. Security has been a huge concern among the IT community from before COVID and during COVID times ten. And so, mm -hmm. if they haven't brought this up with you, or they you don't feel they've got good answers for you on the security front, um, you should go looking. I mean, I yeah, do some research. Yeah, certain people. Yeah. So I know that uh, I can hear it now. Um, law firm owners sitting there and they're going to change, to change, to change. This is adding up in their head. Oh my God, this is going to be so expensive. This is going to be. Let's so let's talk about a couple of things. One is you know the cost of not doing it, which we've already I think scared people. If people aren't scared yet, they need to do some research because they will be. Um, for those who've been in the IT industry for a long time, you know. The average know. cost of a, of a breach in the services industry is $4.5 million. Wow. That's the average across so all So then, you know, so investing a few thousand dollars to get your computer systems, uh, uh, you know, secure would be a good place to start. But let's talk about IT as a moneymaker because I don't, because I think oftentimes attorneys, think of are expense conscious mm -hmm. and they tend to think of 
computers and technology as, oh gosh, that's going to be expensive. And, and my IT guy just handed me another bill for, you know, this, and I can go down to Best Buy and I can buy <laughs> a computer, you know, like it's a, it's a consumer thinking for a business problem. And oftentimes they don't think about the value and the actual hard dollars that could a good IT company can create for them and help them create through efficiency and, and other types of things. So can you talk about that a little bit? I can. I think it's actually very interesting to see firm the difference between firms that are forward-leaning in technology and the ones that are very conservative and view it as an expense item. Mm-hmm. And perhaps, perhaps one of the best ways I could explain it is uh, to talk about the, the statistics, which is, well, I'll start with the statistics, which is that before COVID, this was a 2018 study, about 59% of law firms said that they didn't see the economic value to change. They didn't feel enough economic pain about the change of technology. They didn't want to change. But 41% did, right? So 41% were a bit more forward-leaning in technology. And if I look at my clients who have adopted some of the more who have made the decision, and sometimes it takes a while, you know, and it doesn't, we're no, no one's rushing decisions here. It's just a question of sort of attitude towards technology. And um, if you become more forward-leaning, and I look at some of my clients, um, I have a wonderful law firm in, in Miami, actually, that is on our uh, virtual desktop environment, and they have been for years. Mm-hmm. And they need they need to be responsive to their clients, right? That's their that they would like to be very responsive to their clients. And what does that mean? That means that they need if they want to work at any time of day and night, they can. I'm not saying that you should work 24 by 7. I'm saying you want to have the ability to work. So mm-hmm. if their managing partner is in the car and his wife is driving him up to their daughter's engagement party and it's a five-hour drive, and he wants to set up a hotspot and work, he can, right? He's talked about it with me, and that makes him more responsive, and that makes his clients be more connected to him, and that means he gets more repeat business, and he's also able to get new clients. When the pandemic hit, these guys did not have to worry about their technology operations. They had to worry about making sure their clients understood that they were alive, functioning, and ready to help them. And they were able to make money and continue to cruise through the beginning of the lockdown and and onward without any sort of disruption. And some of their competitors went dark for weeks, right? And that's hard money. That is actually hard money that you're dealing dealing with. And I know the pandemic was a big, like, you know, sort of blip. But I think that that's, um, I think it's indicative. And I think that if you look at um, another... Another aspect here of technology innovation, right? So there's all sorts of new technologies coming down the pike. Mm-hmm. And some of these technologies are going to help your operations be more efficient. And some of these technologies, call it artificial intelligence, for example, could be a place to develop a whole new practice area. You want to talk about money, right? right? How many lawyers are involved in the three or four Tesla crashes that they've had? Right. Let's talk right. about artificial right. intelligence. Right. Right. Okay. Um, so, so you know, for me, what what I actually did in my book was try to lay this out a little bit in an organized format because mm. what I worry about is that there's no there's no real framework for people to grab onto, 
and I actually created like a little assessment. It's like an easy to do 14 point assessment. And if you guys are happy to send you the links or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. We want the link for that. We want the link for the book and we want okay. the link for the security. <laughs> so we can include all that in the show notes because everybody's okay. going to be going and okay. as soon as they finish listening to this, they're going to be going looking all that up. I know. No, fantastic. And it's just, it's like 14 questions. It's like a, it's like a, it'll do a look, a little 360 look at your technology everywhere from security all the way through innovation. Right. And the idea with innovation is, is somebody accountable for it? Right. Mm -hmm. And are you, is someone being educated about the technologies? And it doesn't have to be you, you know, it could be your IT team, right? It could be whoever you're, you're using. And, and are they coming to you and saying, hey, I saw this new technology that would let you work with your clients better. And you guys could collaborate on documents together, right? Whatever whatever it, whatever it is. And I right. think that's important. And I think it's going to get more important because the pace of technology change is just accelerating. Right, so right, right. We're, and we see the difference in how people, uh, you know, when LegalZoom came out, a lot of attorneys freaked, you know, oh, my God, freaking out about this. And other attorneys looked at it and said, if they can do that, what can I do? Right. right. And so it all depends on your perspective and and how you how you look at it and say, how can I incorporate it? And things like, you know, um, doing trial work and you used to have to carry your boxes and boxes of files and paper. And now People are carrying tablets and phones and, you know, they're using all kinds of, they're looking up cases right there in court. And that was something at one point we could have never have imagined. Right. And, and now it's just commonplace, right? So there are so many different ways. And, and most recently court, uh, you know, people, the courts were using, were holding trials and hearings on Zoom. Yeah. And that is just, I mean, mind blowing when you think about it. And who knows if it's going to be, if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's, <laughs> but it's definitely a thing. And right. I, and, and even if we have a vaccine for this pandemic and, you know, next year, um, right. it's going to take a while for that. And I think people's behaviors are altered for a long time. The way yeah. we're going to be functioning think, and interacting with each other. Yeah. I think some of this stuff is going to stay with us forever. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's really going to impact our, the way, so we really need to be thinking about the way we practice and whether, and what technologies can we use to help us do it better? Yeah. So I really appreciate everything and you being here today and sharing with me. I'm going to look for those links so we can include them in the show notes and uh, get people. I'm, I really want people to start doing some research about security and how they can protect their not only their clients' confidential information, which is usually important, but their business, mm-hmm. their business, because the cost of having your systems wiped out, having a breach, being sued because you allowed a breach, can really put a small business owner out of business. So this is really critical. Yeah. So thanks so much for being thank here and discussing no, this with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It was great fun. <laughs> Good, good, good. See, I see. I, it's painless to do the Wealthy Woman Lawyer podcast. That's what I want people to take away from this. <laughs> it's painless and could even be fun. No, I, I appreciate it. I think you've shared a lot of wonderful information. So thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you so much. 
We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the Wealthy Woman Lawyer Podcast. If you have, we invite you to leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. The more five-star reviews we have, the more women law firm owners will be able to positively impact. Your thoughts and opinions are so important to us. If you are a woman law firm owner who wants to scale your law firm to a million dollars or more in gross annual revenue and do it in a way that's sustainable and feels good to you, then we invite you to join us in the Wealthy Woman Lawyer League. The League is a community of highly intelligent, goal-oriented, and driven women law firm owners who are excited to support one another on their journeys to becoming wealthy women lawyers. We'll be sharing so much in the League in the coming year, including the exclusive million-dollar law firm framework that until now, I've only shared with my private one-to-one clients. For more information and to join us, go now to www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash league. That's www.wealthywomanlawyer.com slash league. League is spelled L-E-A-G-U-E. We look forward to seeing you soon in the league.